I'm Sandy and I'm Finn's mum. And uh, I'm Stephen, Stephen Vaughan, uh, and I'm the course leader in photography at Bath Spa University. I wonder if you can tell me a little bit about Finn. What was he like? Well, you know, it's so hard to describe him without, you know, making him sound like he was an angel. <clears throat> um, he wasn't. <laughs> but he was just the sweetest, kindest, most loving, you know, guy that I could ever have wished for, you know, for a son. Um, funny, cheeky, so supportive, um, super compassionate, um, really stood up for you know, things that he felt uh, ought to be stood up for. Um, Stephen, can you tell me about Finn as a student and how you got to know him? Yeah, so um, <clears throat> Finn came to us, uh, he started at the university uh, straight into the second year because he'd done a year of um, uh, study uh, down in Plymouth on an action photography course. And he came to us at the beginning of the second year, um, kind of hitting the ground running really straight from day one really conscientious, hardworking, creative, playful, um, determined, um, you know, really clever, visu visually really, really intelligent. And you could see that, that talent uh, from the very beginning when he arrived at university. And he took it very seriously, you know, he just uh, worked steadily in a really determined way all the way through the course for the second and third year, producing work that, um, as you've seen in the exhibition, is, is just absolutely remarkable. Um, and, you know, in a, in a way, sort of looking back and, and we're, the exhibition is in, you know, very sad circumstances that he's no longer with us. But but actually, this exhibition stands up as a body of work of a really accomplished photographer. You know, actually, the, the work really stands up for itself and is uh, um, unusually, I think, you know, of a, of a calibre that is uh, very, very high indeed. So he was a great student. And... Um, he was always, always really supportive of us and, and um, really um, engaged all the way through, all the way through the course. As hard as it is, whether you can tell me a little bit about Finn's cancer journey. I'll certainly do my best, but there might be, there might be a few tears along the way. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it just seemed to be completely out of the blue. Um, you know, my husband and I woke up one morning in May 2018. I switched my phone on and there were tens of, of messages from Lauren um, saying that Finn had had a seizure in the night and um, you know they were at the University Hospital in Cardiff and could be please come please come, you know so you can imagine it was just this utter shock um, and we we flew up there I remember she said to us can you bring sunglasses because he's got a dreadful headache and I remember you know ridiculous things like stopping at the um, a service station to buy sunglasses and then actually standing there deciding which pair he'd like best, which was just ludicrous, you know. So we got up there in record time and there was Finn completely out of it. Um, I think from a guy that never liked to take any medication, no vaccinations, no, you know, I mean, as a child and, you know, he just didn't like any of that sort of stuff. And he was on everything you could possibly imagine. They were trying to stabilize him to do an MRI scan. They'd done one scan and they said it's either a tumor or a brain infection. And as he said, typical Finn, you know, a couple of weeks later when he could talk, you know, better after the surgery, he said, it's a pretty sad day when you're begging like mad that you've got a brain infection because <laughs> it was the lesser of two evils, you know. Um, so I think we got there about 10 in the morning and I think by four in the afternoon, um, we 
heard that he had uh, he had brain cancer. And um, how we heard that was we were upstairs in the, you know, the, the sort of special men's ward, neurological ward, and he was in a bed with cot sides up. And um, this amazing, lovely consultant was just heading straight for us with a nurse by his side. And the first thing that you notice is it says oncology nurse, you know. Um, so we'd kind of gone from waking up in the morning to, to this sort of horrendous news. And um, I just remember um, Lauren had been with him all the time and she was sitting, he was drifting in and out of, sort of sleep and she was sitting holding his hand. And she said, I remember saying, I'm not crying now. She said, oh, your mum's here. And he just opened one eye, took my hand and held it against his cheek and smiled at me and went back to sleep. I know, obviously, from the exhibition that he recovered from that original surgery. Mm -hmm. And then I believe lockdown hit. And mm -hmm. then he managed to produce mm -hmm. an incredible piece of work. And I wonder whether, Stephen, you can describe that piece of work. Yeah, so so um, when Finn arrived to us in um, twenty. 19 so it was, it was september mm -hmm. october 2019 um he 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 didn't kind of um shout loudly about having this history you know actually we didn't really know what had happened in his own personal health circumstances um until until much later he just came diving into the course and started to make a piece of work in uh, a documentary photography module where he began to document the other part of his life, which was as a chef, um, he worked um, at a place called Checkers in Bath and and um, he made photographs in the kitchens of the people around him and, and produced this remarkable series of, of images of, of uh, the people he knew and the world that he knew as a chef. Um, and it was a really good piece of work. And he made a book of that and, uh, and, and handed that in. It was a very strong submission. But then when lockdown hit halfway through his second year, we had to evacuate everybody from the university. None of the teaching was then taking place in the building and everybody was uh, learning at home. So on, on Zoom meetings, um, talking to students about the work that they were trying to make, you know, and everybody was really struggling. It was really hard for us as teachers. Uh, and Finn... Sorry. When lockdown hit, it was very, very hard for everybody. And um, we were encouraging students to use their, the, the walk that they did every an hour a day. We were allowed an hour a day to go out, to use that hour productively with a camera to go out and make pictures. But Finn did something very different. He, he loaded his, his camera with film and photographed the claustrophobia of his internal surroundings, the rooms that that they lived in uh, and the view from inside that that world and then when he finished the role of film he rewound the film back to the beginning and reloaded it into his camera and then took the same role of film out into the world for his hour a day walk and made a, a whole new series of pictures over the top of those interior pictures so that the exterior world and the interior world were, were combined in these double exposures and on some occasions, the film was then reloaded again, and another layer of pictures were put onto the film. And this kind of process, um, in a way, what you do when, you, when you're making those kind of pictures where you're doing multiple exposures, you surrender your 
um, complete control of what the pictures are going to look like. So you have to be kind of clever about photographing dark spaces on one time you, you take the picture and then layering it over, over the dark spaces with another kind of picture. So, But it's very, very um, haphazard and unpredictable and playful. It's really, really playful way of making pictures. And in a way, it's a sort of surrender to chance that you allow chance to suddenly uh, take control of the picture making process. So he did this repeatedly over the whole of lockdown, right the way through lockdown, from, from March through to the end of in, into, into May, so the module that we were working on. Uh, and he, he did this in a kind of very sustained, uh, determined way, processing the film in his bathroom at home, scanning it in on his scanner at home with very basic um, equipment. And he, he created this enormous um, object which contains every single picture made during lockdown. And each of those pictures is layered twice or three times with other interior and exterior worlds in which he also appears himself. So there's several moments in this collage. Um, effectively, this collage is now um, six and a half meters long. It's a huge piece of work um, and an enormous kind of monument to, to COVID and to that experience of claustrophobia, which I know during tutorials, he spoke about the frustration of of you know of all things to happen for him to be locked inside at a time when he really really wanted mm -hmm. to be sure. active and free it was in, enormously frustrating but the work he produced showed just such a such a kind of amazing imaginative visual process and playfulness that is i, I think it's it's for me the most significant piece of work that was produced during covid of, of any artist that I've, I've i've witnessed it's it's uh, completely apart from the fact that I know Finn, this piece of work I think is is really captures what that whole experience was like for all of us. You know, it's, it's a brilliant piece of work. He had on one of the walls. He had a huge sort of a, like a sort of cork board, big, really big one, and he would put on there bits of work that he was, you know, bits of photography work that he was doing. And I remember he said, "This is the project I've been working on." And I think I'm not sure, but I think it was only an A4 piece of paper landscape you know so so that way and um with you know so I, I if you take that huge piece of work and sort of scale it down to a tiny piece of a4 and I looked at my eyesight is rubbish you know and I looked at it and I said oh that's lovely darling oh it's you know and it looked to me like 50 shades of gray because it was all different shades of of these little you know and I thought oh, that's amazing you know he must have gone out and photographed something that was this color and then photographed I had no clue. So when I, saw, I mean, I was really overwhelmed when I saw it, you know, um, and it took a lot of um, enlarging it for me to be able to to see what it was. And it's incredible because, you know, I know that the equipment that he had was very basic equipment. And I just can't believe that he even did that. It's incredible. Um, and I think what I, I was going to say when I was talking about him was um, after that operation, he became epileptic as well. Um, so, you know, he did, he had a lot of issues, you know, going on to, to, to sort of add that on top of the piece of work, you know, it's just unbelievable. And I, yeah, I just think it's wonderful. And I, it's amazing to you, Stephen, talking about it like that. It's fantastic. Thank you. It's a real legacy of his creativity, his playfulness, his determination. Why is it so, why was it so important for you to create that exhibition and the book? Sadly, when uh, Finn was dying, he, he felt that he hadn't done very much with 
his life, which couldn't be further from the truth as far as you know we're concerned. But he did um, confide to, to Lauren one day when he was at, at the hospice. He said, I just wanted to make a book of my photography. Um, and Lauren fortunately said, we're going to do it for you. So the thing about the book, I mean, this book is just like, I can't even describe what that means you know, to us. But when we went and looked to see what photographs we could find that Finn had taken, he just started to set up a little website and there was really not much on there. So I actually, I found, you know, Post Leader at Bath Spa and I thought, well, I'll, I'll write to Stephen Vaughan and see if, you know, if he has, any, you know, if there are any um, pieces of Finn's work still there. And, and I remember writing and sort of saying, you know, I don't know if you're the right person to write to, but um, if not, could you maybe pass it on? And I remember Stephen saying, we'd be honoured to, you know, to help with this and, and that you had an idea of um, how he might like, like that presented. Well, that you could imagine what that meant to us because in fact, literally, it was Finn's only dying wish to have this book. So it's just unbelievable, you know, unbelievable. We had envisaged maybe finding, you know, a dozen or 20 of his photographs and going to a printer and saying, could you please put this together? And, you know, we've got this amazing thing and an exhibition. I mean, it's just... I, have, I don't have the words, it's just amazing. I mean, it's, it's also a real privilege for, for us as well. And so when, when I received, received that email at the very beginning of this process, um, obviously I was very upset. I knew, I, I knew Finn really well. And um, we worked very closely together on all of his projects right the way through the degree. And I'd written references for him uh, going to work in, as a, um, in, in, in a, a hotel. Um, actually not not too long previously so there were still connections i i thought and then to learn that, that he, he passed away was was obviously really um really sad and we wanted to to do something practical physical um f for me in my in my own kind of from my own personal perspective when i've i've lost people in the past and the advice from other people has been uh, go and make beautiful photographs because that's what you do actually if you can do that so to then be able to kind of have the um the possibility of, of carrying that through for finn because the work is amazing you know actually it's, it's it, it makes it so easy because the work deserves to be put into a book you know actually the book i think is is our, our determination through that process was to make the book um equal to the work you know that the, the book itself matches the strength of the work that we do justice to what he, he produced um, and the exhibition as well. But right from the very beginning, we had the support of the head of school um, who um, immediately said, let's set up the Finley Mills Memorial Award. So every year we have um, uh, one, and this last year, two students who've been given the um, award for outstanding achievement in photography so that Finn's name will be repeated every year and we'll talk about Finn every year through this award. Well, what struck me from seeing Finn's work today was that he's been able to point a lens on the dying process as well mm -hmm. and to destigmatize death for people and that is a very powerful a huge contribution isn't it why do you think it's so that that aspect of his work is so important i i didn't actually i wasn't aware of the work that he was doing um on that so i think i kind of came to that that was quite a, a big thing for me wasn't it mm. To, to sort of find, I, I had obviously seen, you know, bits of the work that he'd been doing, but I had taken him to um, 
the Rutherford Center um, for a couple of his uh, proton beam therapy treatments. And he did have his camera and the tripod and, you know, things in the back. But, you know, obviously I'd sort of drop him there and wait for him and, and I didn't ask him too much about what he was doing. So I, I really wasn't aware that he was sort of documenting this whole thing. But I think he, um, that was his way of speaking, you know, visually. Um, visually and and also um, in, in terms of, I don't, I don't even know how to put it into words, but he would try to, give things to people in ways that we might not normally sort of you know sort of do um so i i really think that that was his way of saying you know this is how it is for me you know these are the things that are happening these are the you know i think stephen you said to me that when you saw the film from the rutherford center you said it's about the care that he received you know so he would have wanted to to sort of say Yes, this is what's happening for me, but look at the care that I'm receiving here, the love, you know, that's, that's sort of here in this in this film. So it's very it's very touching, you know. Um, but that was his way of speaking, visually, you know, visually, and um, yeah. One one of the things we talk about with our <laughs> students a lot is how do you uh, use photography to um, navigate your own personal experience, but then how do you take that the, the personal nature of that experience and make it universal for, for others to, to understand. <laughs> and so the process, I think, that um, Finn was going through with the Alive project um, over, over the final major project of the degree was, in one sense, a kind of personal therapeutic process of acknowledging his circumstances and beginning to use photography to, um, to understand his own predicament and his own experiences. But I think Alongside that, he, he understood very clearly, I think, that those pictures have a value beyond his own personal experience. Mm. So beginning to sort of bring um, those photographs out into a public arena where actually people can um, kind of conf confront, if they wish, can experience and see some of those things which I think are invisible to most of us through the experiences that he had. So it's, in a way, it's a sort of, it's a, it's a really positive gift to other people, I think, you know, to be able to mm -hmm. say, this is what can happen. This is, these are the things that we can experience as human mm -hmm. beings. Um, it can be really tough. And, you know, we, we, we should know that, you know, actually it's good to know that. And so it's, and when he showed me the Rutherford video, um, the part of the film that's in the, in the exhibition is, is longer and has more, more elements, but he showed me one clip, just the clip of the, of the nurses as they were preparing the radiotherapy bed uh, pre uh, preparing the machine and they were there was there was such kind of gentle um choreography it was like mm -hmm. a kind of dance that they were mm -hmm. doing around his body mm -hmm. and actually just caring for him he was laid laid on the bed but they were being so kind of it, the, the care was so beautiful actually mm -hmm. as, as a kind of choreographed mm -hmm. um ritual and then when you put that next to the other pictures which were self-portraits where he was looking at himself and looking at the the kind of paraphernalia of of, um, of that treatment process, um, there's a sort of spirit of courage and um, honesty that is really, I think, important for us on the outside of the experience to to acknowledge and to take away. Certainly for me, when I I, I think of anything that um, I experience through life that might be difficult, I you know actually seeing this as an, as an example of somebody 
um, mm. managing these complicated and really challenging circumstances with the most amazing positivity, you know, and action. Not just mm. in, he never ever in in any of the tutorials or any of the interactions at university. I never ever got the sense that he was there was any self pity or wallowing. He was mm. he was really courageous and doing. He was doing. Mm. He was acting making things and producing work and expressing himself right the way through to the very, very end of the project. Sandy, you say in your introduction that um, Finn was dyslexic and dyspraxic and that photography uh -huh. was the way he found his voice. I think, I think um, the, 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 the fact that he was um, dyslexic and dyspraxic and um, often in an art school, um, many, many of the student population are also, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's uh, a, a very high percentage of, of the students in the art school are likely to be um, uh, dyslexic or dyspraxic or, um, uh, you know, something something other. But actually, an art school is a place where self-expression and, and language takes a different mm -hmm. form, and intelligence takes a different has a different place. You know that they have a, a space in which their their intelligence can be recognised um, in a different way than the school system, which often suppresses you know freedom and feelings of, of self-worth so an art school is, is suddenly an eruption of possibility and hopefully what we want is for all our students to find to find that freedom to, to express themselves and and Finn, i mean should be, i mean he did he really did he, I, one of the pieces in the final project the alive project where <clears throat> he was uh, trying to represent the feeling of, mm. of this of a seizure which is very difficult to put into language. How do you describe something like that? Uh, so he created an image, which for him, he said that this, this was the closest that he could get to expressing that. So he used photography um, as something beyond language, I think, where he was able to, able to be um, clear about his, his perspective on the world um, without language. There's not very much language in the book. There's not very many words in the book, apart from Sandy's really fantastic words at the end of the book and a poem at the beginning the photographs don't really need any any extended mm. text it's not about the text it would be 2021 i think in the new year he had a scan and there had been a little bit of progression and i think um the the effects of lockdown and all sorts of other things i think he he just sort of thought oh you know what am i going to do now so he decided to have some treatment he didn't want to have chemotherapy he decided he would have, you know, um, proton beam therapy. And um, that's what he did. And I think that much as it probably had some of benefits, benefits, I think that was the start of the end, really, because I know that he was, um, you know, much, much as it improved some things, it also caused, um, you know, he, he, he lost more feeling in his arm and he lost more of the ability to remember things. So I think it was maybe we didn't, choose to look at it like that. We just thought in a few months he'll be over that and it'll be brilliant. But he had a, a little bleed in the brain, I think that summer, um, while he was still trying to finish his, his you know, coursework and everything. And um, that was quite scary because he couldn't move his arm or his leg on the right side, but that improved. And um, he actually managed to um, move out of the, the flat that they were in, find a new flat. And also he really wanted to get back into chefing um, because he um, wanted to um, sort of be earning enough so that he could set up his website and everything. And 
on Valentine's Day that year, um, he rang me up and he said, oh, we've got a bit of a headache. And I thought, oh, gosh, you know, this is not, you know, somebody with a brain tumour sort of um, starting to say they have a headache. This isn't good. So much as he said, he was praying that he had a, a brain infection. You know, I was praying that he had COVID. I was praying that he had something, you know. Um, but he did some tests and he didn't have that. And it seemed to get worse very quickly. Um, so he was off work. And in the end, he said, you know, my husband, Chris, and I said, do you want to come and stay with us for a while? And he said, oh, yeah, I'll come over and recuperate. So he, um, Chris tried to, to go and get him on, on the Friday of that week. But it was the day where we had that huge storm and there was loads of trees down. And and we live in a very rural place, um, you know, sort of uh, just outside of Wales. And um, it was really difficult to get over there. But he did manage to go over and get him. And I knew as soon as he arrived that he was dying, really. I knew he'd come home to die, which was horrendous. So we did the best that we could. He didn't basically, he, he would get up um, to go to the loo with Chris's help. Um, but he basically was in bed from then. And the pain and the nausea and the vomiting just was, you know, after two weeks, um, the consultant said, just get an ambulance into the RUH. Um, and the ambulance crew turned up and um, the, the young guy that was in the back of it, it was his first day on the job. Um, but apparently he and Finn talked about photography all the way into the hospital. Um, I followed behind in the, in the car because I, I couldn't bear to see him leaving the house because I knew he'd never come back. So Chris went in, in the ambulance with him. And um, we got over to the hospital and this wonderful young man sort of said, you know, found me and said, you must be so proud of him, you know, because you only have to spend five minutes with him to know what a beautiful person he is. And I always remembered that, you know. Anyway, he got to the hospital, he had a seizure there and um, we knew it wasn't, it wasn't great, but, you know, they were going to give him loads of um, steroids to try and reduce the swelling and blah, blah, blah. That was on a Friday, and by the Monday, they had sort of told him, and Chris was over there with him at that point, that, you know, this was it, there was nothing that they could do, and he'd be moved to the hospice the next day. Um, so that was horrific, absolutely horrific, that we, we had that news. And um, the palliative care nurse, who was wonderful, suggested that Lauren and I went over to Dorothy House to, to see round, to see where he would be, and... So, you know, that night in the, you know, the sort of dark and the cold and the rain and everything, over we went and we, we you know, we found Dorothy House and um, saw the room that he would be in and it had a little patio and the lovely views and, and um, yeah, it was just like being deposited amongst a throng of angels. <laughs> it was just wonderful. Um, and obviously we were shocked and sad and we just couldn't believe that he wouldn't be here soon, you know. But, um, and then he was... Chris came along with him in the ambulance the following day. That was on the Tuesday morning. And he really went downhill very rapidly there. Um, you know, he would he would say one evening that he wanted to, to write or to draw something, but he couldn't hold on to a, a pen or a pencil. So he said, okay, in the morning, we'll bring in some sort of chubby crayons or, you know, felt tips or something, which we did. But by then he couldn't do that either. So there was really... You know, it was very rapid and, um, you know, we got into that situation where we were just praying that it ended um, because he 
you know, the, the, the physical signs of, of, you know, the condition that he had were so awful. And he, he was, um, I mean, everybody there was absolutely wonderful. And I know they really managed his pain as much as anybody could. But, you know, just seeing him wince every now and then if they moved, a, you know, a, if Lauren moved a pillow or something was just, we just prayed for him to, for it to end for him. But obviously with that comes, and he's gone, you know, so that, that hideous kind of, we wanted it to end, but we didn't want to not be able to see him or touch him or, you know, so yeah, it was all very quick at the end, yeah. Can you describe the care that he and you and your family and Lauren received? And Lauren actually moved in, there was another bed in the room and she moved in and, and then lived there with him for the duration. But I mean, I can't, I mean, I remember sitting in the family room one day and I, I don't even remember what complementary therapy it was that I had, but somebody, one of the therapists came in, took my hand and said, right, you're coming with me. And she took me off. And it was it was wonderful, you know. She just kind of said, you know, you're coming with me and I'm going to look after you for, you know, for just now. So it was just fantastic. I mean, I don't, the, the nursing staff were just unbelievable. Um, I was also a bit concerned about... Um, speaking to um, the chaplain or any of the, you know, the, the, the people that take on that role because I'm not religious at all. And I was just worried about that, but I needn't have been. And, um, you know, one particular person there was just, I mean, he couldn't have done more for us. He spent so long in the room with Finn, with me. I mean, I, I kind of, you know, my big thing about this whole thing is that I feel very guilty because I didn't spend as much time as I thought I ought to have done in the room with Finn because this was my baby dying in front of me and I just couldn't, you know, I just, it wasn't that I was trying not to cry or, you know, when people sort of say, you sort of hear this noise, it sounds like a wounded animal or something, you know, that was the kind of thing that was, that was coming out of me and I thought, well, that's obviously not helpful for him or any, anybody else. So I spent a lot of time um, in the in the family room because I felt I couldn't, I just couldn't, you know, sit there and watch this, my baby dying. So I'm still guilty. I still feel guilty about that. Um, and Lauren said to me, you know, she said, Finn knew how this would all pan out, Sandy. You know, she knew that um, that I would be with him, as in Lauren, you're with him all the way through. And that my husband, Chris, he wasn't Finn's father, but they had the most fantastic relationship. Um, you know, he would be there a lot. And my older son would be there a fair bit. And then I'd be in and out as I, as I could. But I remember um, they had Finn's bed pushed along the corridor to see where mum was. You know, there's mum right next door. You know, so they, it, it was just it was just amazing. I have no idea how they do this sort of stuff. You know, it's just amazing. And, you know, since then, I mean, I'm still being supported by Linda, um, who's just like, I just call her an earth angel. We all are, you know, earth angels. Um, and, and that's just wonderful. Even the when we had the, the opening of the exhibition, that was the, we hadn't had any sort of celebration of Finn's life up until then. So that was incorporated into that. And even the, the celebrant um, that we had, Susanna Watson from Remem Remembered Lives, she has a connection to Dorothy House. And it was actually Linda that, that introduced me to her, you know, and Dan was there from, you know, and it was just wonderful. I mean, I just feel I'm so grateful. I can't even put it into words. It's just so amazing. And you very kindly um, are giving some of the proceeds from Finn's wonderful book, uh -huh. Dorothy House. 
for which we're incredibly grateful. Absolutely. Um, it's worth mentioning that the <clears throat> that the book will is available from the art shop at uh, the University Locksbrook campus. Um, so even after the exhibition is closed, the book is still available mm -hmm. to buy. Mm -hmm. And as you said, the proceeds mm -hmm. um, are going to be given to um, to charity yeah. to Dorothy House and yeah. to. Um, um, so we, um, Dorothy House is top of the list, and then um, the Brain Tumor Charity. But one thing that you know, with Finn's love of nature and animals and dogs in particular, um, it, you know, one of the things he found most difficult was the seizures. You know, they were full on tonic clonic seizures, and you know, you obviously don't know when they're going to happen. But there's a, a, a very small charity up, based up in Yorkshire, Support Dogs, who actually train dogs to alert their owners to seizures which you know he would have absolutely loved that you know and um so so obviously you know that was a that was something that he would he would have loved as well so we're going to just split you know split the the proceeds that's wonderful not only did finn give so much in, in terms of his art and his kindness and his love and you continue to do that for him but i know that he gave his corneas yeah. Well. Yes. Yep. And um, I remember saying to um, the when the the transplant, you know, I was his next of kin, so I remember. I mean, you couldn't you couldn't make it up. It was uh, Finn passed away on the Friday, late on the Friday night, and um, I think they spoke to me. I don't know. I think they might even have rung me in the Sunday, which was Mother's Day, which was just hideous. Um, but you know, they they rang me and they said. Um, you know, they asked me a few sort of questions that they, they had to ask. Obviously, it had all been arranged, but they asked me about, you know, afterwards. Um, and I, I don't even remember what those questions were, but I did say to them, is there any way you could let me know if, you know, what happens with them? And um, I think possibly with corneas that maybe they don't always do that, but they said, yes, that they would. And then as time went on, it sort of got to about, because that was in March, so... It got to about, you know, August or something, and I began to think, oh, I wish I hadn't asked them that because it sounds like nothing happened. You know, I was getting upset about that. And then before I knew it, I had a letter in the post um, with one of the St. John's, you know, awards um, and and uh, another letter, um, a separate letter sort of saying, we, we want to, we're so sorry that, you know, we haven't been in touch so far, but we want to let you know that his corneas have... Um, you know, one went to to improve the sight of a, I think, a forty-year-old man, and one went to improve the sight of a twenty-five-year-old man. So we were absolutely over the moon. So when the exhibition, um, you know, just before the exhibition started, I actually wrote to the transplant people and I said, I completely understand that you won't be able to write back to me or give me any information, but I just want to put it out there that this exhibition is happening. You know, and that um, you know the people who've benefited from from Finn's corneas you know maybe someday they might see his work um which I just thought was wonderful 